Beautifuls, welcome to Her Sexual Space, a podcast where we create a sex-positive space to engage in empowering discussions for building relational and sexual awareness. Today's guest is Morgan, and she's coming to us all the way from Berlin, Germany. Morgan is a relationship coach focused on consensual, sustainable non-monogamy. She offers practical tools and real-world examples of successful polyamory for all genders and orientations. I am so excited to share my platform with Morgan today. Welcome to the podcast, Morgan. Hello, it's good to be here. Yes, thank you for being here and um, just uh, sharing so much of your work with us. Uh, this is definitely an area that has become uh, high interest for a lot of persons in relationships and not. And um, a lot of what I want to do with my platform is to create uh, that awareness and provide that education so people could make informed decisions about the lifestyles that they would like to um, pursue. So welcome. Yes. (laughs) So how about you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you show up in the world and a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, Well, I'm Morgan. I'm a cis woman um, from America. I live in Berlin now. I've been um, practicing non-monogamy since 2012, and I've been uh, coaching since 2018. And my approach to it is um, non-hierarchical, but I help folks with any structure, really. Yeah, love that. You know, I was mentored, and so once people expressed that they felt a little bit alone, I in their path, I felt really uh, fulfilled by mentoring other people. Yeah, and and what was your path? So you know, you shared that you you know you became non-monogamous in 2012, but prior to that, did you subscribe to monogamy? And um, how did you know that maybe that did not work for you? Sure. Well, I I mean, I think a lot of us, at least in the West, we are kind of raised with monogamy as a default expectation. And so I never questioned it. And I think a lot of people are in that position. I knew I always had uh, anxiety in monogamy where either I would be cheated on or I would get bored and cheat. And that was kind of hovering ever present. And I was like, is this just life? I'm just always going to be scared of one of these things. And So when in my earlier 20s, when I um, encountered a community that sort of had this framework and this mindful way of of designing your own relationship consensually that could include multiplicitous love, I was like, I think this is me. And I I felt so liberated, like there's a way to, to love the way I naturally love without hurting anyone. And that was a very exciting prospect. Yes, and that is so important. So how do you define consensual non-monogamy? Um, I mean, really any relationship structure that deviates from monogamy, um, where all parties have informed consent to what's happening. Um, yes, that informed consent. <laughs> yeah, proactive communication about what you're doing so everyone can say, yes, I, I agree to this. Yeah. So when you work with clients and... Um, you know, how do you go about creating those boundaries, agreements? Um, how does that come up? And of course, navigating feelings of jealousy, which which can show up um, 
how is all of that discussed? And do they come in already knowing that they need those things? Sure. I mean, a lot of people approach me in various stages of, of their practice. And a lot of times if it's a newcomer, we start with, you know, what structure feels right for you? Is there hierarchy where there's a first, a second, a third in your life? Is it non-hierarchy where there isn't this sort of ranking? Solo polyamory is a structure that can be great for people who need a lot of autonomy and don't desire yes. escalation. Um, mm -hmm. There's relationship anarchy, which is not chaos, as, as people often think, but instead, uh, you know, a very proactive redesigning of each relationship on its own basis. So it can include hierarchy or non-hierarchy. So, you know, I don't want to get too in the weeds right off the bat, but, you know, finding out the baseline structure of what kind of non-monogamy um, seems like it resonates with your needs and would help you feel safe. That, that's a great place to start. Yeah. I love how you, you broke that down. Um, you know, and you talked a little bit about those structures. What are some common styles that you, you see? I know um, you focus on non-hierarchical, but um, I'm sure you see a variety of different practices. Um, what would you consider or deem as most common? I would say um, a lot of people who approach me are... Um, in some kind of hierarchy at some point and I include myself in that you know I started out in a hierarchy and I think it can be um, even if it's not where people ultimately stay it can be um, a comforting position to transition into because it's a little monogamish you know <laughs> you yeah. have a, a one and only special and you know it's um when everyone freely chooses that when people who are ranked second and third in your life are fine with that position, with those ceilings uh, to their own relationships, then it's not hurting anyone. I think the, the conflict can come when people realize they want more and they're scared of letting go of that control and like actually designing something they've never seen before. So, you know, we go, we go at a slow pace. We, we try to be really mindful. We make a lot of room for these trauma responses that can come in, fear of abandonment, yes. um, you know, and nothing can really be rushed or forced, only discovered and, and expressed. Yeah. What would you say the foundation of the relationship has to look like before they can begin practicing uh, consensual non-monogamy? Radical honesty. You know, just mm -hmm. very proactive. I don't believe there's a thing, uh, such a thing as over-communication. Um, there can be over-sharing where you share unhelpful <laughs> details about who you had sex right. with. Um, but to be incredibly proactive and transparent in motivations, in desires, in behaviors, um, to have a good faith effort from everyone involved. Otherwise, it's hard to really build on that. You're building on shaky ground if you can't trust everyone to tell the truth. Yeah, that's what I, I imagined. And, and as you talk about that, I think of, uh, I, I grew up, I was born and raised in the Caribbean and, um, it's not unlikely to come across non-monogamy, consensual and ethical, <laughs> maybe not, but it's very common to um, come across persons who are married, um, they have a family at home, 
And then later on in the years, um, maybe the children would find out that they have a brother or sister somewhere else. Um, so it's, it's not uncommon for people to step outside of their their marriages um, or their, their, you know, their relationships. I often wonder what it would look like if we added that consensual and ethical part of it. And, um, you know, I think what we struggle with is communication. There are lots of communication skills that I think that are really missing um, in a lot of our communities. Um, so I, I wonder when you work with persons with different backgrounds where um, their lives have been shaped by maybe a lot of um, knowingly um, cheating or infidelities, deception, all of those things. How do you wheel them back in and um, start introducing communication um, to have a sustainable lifestyle if that's what they so desire? Yeah, I mean, it's it's wild how normalized and easily forgiven socially uh, cheating is. Um, yeah. And meanwhile, you know, if we all say, hey, we're doing this and we all agree, sometimes we are called sick or wrong. And, and so it's really a construct. Um, I think that's the first thing is sort of understanding, hey, you know, this is already happening. We already feel attracted to other people. We already feel love for other people. Um, I can love this person over here and that doesn't diminish my love for you. So to look that truth in the eye and say, all right, well, how can we do this in a way that doesn't hurt anyone? Now, mm -hmm. if, if you're coming from a place of being very wounded, of being very um, cynical about this because you've been hurt and cheated on, that um, requires a lot of, a lot of working on those resentments and pains and, you know, understanding that one person harming or several people harming you um, is not necessarily indicative of, of the love you're about to have. Um, and in fact, uh, everyone that I know who is in my community and very rigorous about, um, about defining relationships in a way that is mutually beneficial, they are very, um, very eager to call out each other about anything that could be perceived as non-consensual, about anything shady, about anything that's, yeah. you know, maybe self-centered, you know, and so we look out for each other and that really, that sense of community is the biggest difference to me, that we have other people um, who have our back and will stand with us to say, you're not crazy, this person's mistreating you, because cheating absolutely happens not in quote-unquote consensual, not monogamy as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. It's very hard, you know, um, but to differentiate the personality of a person who cheats, of a dishonest person, to not conflate that with the structure of non-monogamy. I can see that. So let's talk a little bit about disclosing and, you know, whether to disclose or not disclose, <laughs> you know, relationship styles. And honestly, before we even get into that, I wonder when you see uh, your clients um, or members, however you define them, um, do y'all like design, work on design? Because a lot of us may come in with what we want it to look like. So maybe um, for my partner, he loves talking to multiple persons at a time. And, and maybe for me, I would like maybe to um, be able to see or be in touch with, or if I have friends coming in town, I can go out with them, have dinner, have a good time, and none of that be questioned. So I wonder when couples have different ideas on what they want that to look like, 
Um, how is that welcomed? And do you like encourage them to come in and kind of design it like with pen and paper, pencil and paper, um, maybe to design what they want that sustainability and that relationship to look like over the years? And of course, that can change, right? Um, but I wonder, do they come in almost like <laughs> design mode of what they want that to look like? Absolutely. I mean, the, the great thing is it's all negotiable. You know, it's yeah. all, it can all be discussed in a way that um, everyone has their needs met or people make concessions to, um, you know, to help their partners have their needs met and vice versa. So the first thing is, of course, to create a, an atmosphere where it's okay to say anything. You know, nothing is shamed. No desire is shamed. Um, if there is a reaction like, you want this now, that makes me insecure. Um, okay, let's make space for that too. You know, that's valuable information to consider when designing. You know, if I want to go out and hook up with a new person every night, which I would be too exhausted to do, but if I wanted something that was very radical and very volatile and a person that I have a long-term relationship with says, hey, that makes me feel unsafe, well, I now need to factor that in to my own decisions. Um, so that discussion can be ongoing. Um, there can be a lot of trial and error. Hey, we all agree to this. Let's uh, try this and then come back and see how we felt because we can so often be surprised by our emotions that come up. Um, so yeah, you know, to really, to the best of our ability, factoring traumas, special needs, your goals, differing needs, you know, some people, um, are relieved when their partner wants a certain sexual thing that they don't want. Oh good. They can get it over there. You know, I think sometimes it's actually really helpful to, to a duo to open up, um, like that, but, uh, it's all about communication. Yeah, and I don't think people always consider all of the benefits, you know, the community, you know, and I, I feel like sometimes, especially those people who are, are um, you know, they grew up in, you know, with the default, right? And they believe in the fairy tale and the happily ever after. It's hard to really see how this lifestyle could be beneficial. And when I'm thinking about non-monogamy, I'm also thinking about communities and populations that oftentimes when we think about monogamy, we don't think about how those people would thrive in such a relationship. I'm thinking about people with disabilities. I'm thinking about people as they age and having a community, you know, whether you want the pleasure part to be there or not. I think those are those are, I think those are communities that we'd often think about. So do you see that coming up in your work where, I don't know if you work with persons who are, who are disabled or differently abled um, and elderly um, communities, do you see any trends there? Absolutely. Um, usually it's more clear when there are um, special needs or, or very radically different needs. Say you love someone who's asexual, you know, then it's very obvious how um, a supplementary relationship or a complementary relationship rather can, can benefit everyone. Um, we see a lot of, of freedom and, and looseness around relationship structures the older people get because, uh, as you mentioned, there is, uh, you know, less of a relationship escalator goal, less of a trying to get married, to have kids. Like, you've done all that. Now you just yeah. want to feel, you know, surrounded by love and support. Um, I and, can't wait to get there. <laughs> That's and, my goal. You know, 
it's it's beautiful and we we can choose to have that at a younger age you know and the reality is is people are already spreading out their resources with families that have multiple parents step parents you know a serial monogamy um, brings in a lot of different people to to raise one child you know you have four different parents um, so we're already benefiting from having a bit bigger of a, of a family um, or more options for who can play which roles um, it's just not always chosen sometimes it happens accidentally and we're saying we want to choose and mindfully design um, a more multiplicitous communal way of loving and, and as, as you talk about that, I'm remembering um, there was a news article that came out, uh, must have been years ago, but I think it was a celebrity. Uh, I think she had, uh, I think it was Alzheimer's, and um, I think she gave her husband uh, the approval to have another person live with them. And I remember there being so much backlash on, you know, why would the husband even be interested in needing another relationship? And I think sometimes we are really like, we're not realistic about what illness can do to our relationships and how having that extra support and having, knowing, right, who your husband is with, um, even if it's, it's under the same roof, I'm sure there are rules of engagement but I remember there just being so much and I think a lot of it came from the black community too because of you know there's so much history of trauma and, and men and, and what you know stuff that has happened um, and I think that played a role in in that backlash um, I don't know if you if you were aware of that but do you see do you see that type of conflict often coming up uh, maybe as people age and illness comes into play Sure. I mean, more than just if if uh, if needs alter, which can very much happen at um, at any age. I was uh, just recently spoke with someone who was paralyzed at the age of seventeen, and um, so his needs shifted dramatically. And he's and he goes in and out of polyamory and monogamy and has some fluidity around it. So, um, but there, you know, as I as I mentioned, the the more varied the needs and the more um, you know, that accessibility is at front, front and center of the conversation. But I think the more pressing it is to evaluate, you know, does this dynamic have everything that we all need? But in terms of the backlash, I think there's a lot of projection that happens, you know, where mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, people have had, you know, as we talked about, um, bad experiences with cheating yeah. or, or mm -hmm. dishonesty. And so that pain will inform their judgment of this consenting person's decision. Right. <laughs> and so if this person says, like, I'm fine, I'm not harmed, then it says a lot more about the person who's upset. Like, what, what is it stirring in you that this would be so upsetting? And maybe that can be discussed and healed. You know, it's, we're not recruiting. I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, you know, push a polyamorous agenda. I have my visibility is about, uh, you know, if you're already doing this and want support, I'm here. But, you know, the existence of polyamorous people or even just differently negotiated relationship structures, it's not a threat. Just like gay marriage isn't a threat to straight marriage, you know? Like, right. yeah. we, we, can, we can love each other and it doesn't have to have anything to do with anyone else. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I think that takes us straight into whether people want to disclose or not disclose, because I think that's often a huge, uh, it could be a point of contention, um, you know, especially with family and friends and also within your work environment. Um, how do you encourage them to, to kind of make that decision? Sure. I mean, coming out is a very personal choice. It and is. Mm-hmm. Not everyone feels safe to do so. I mean, deviation from the norms, it has consequences. It does. And and so really it's a case-by-case basis. Like if, you know, obviously we want to disclose to people we're dating, um, anyone who would be directly impacted uh, so that they can give informed consent. But if people aren't involved or impacted, I don't really think they, you know, are required to necessarily know. Um because being out can mean losing friends or family, having your housing or your employment challenged, you know, and um, so it's it's not a decision that can be made lightly necessarily. It is a luxury, I should say, a privilege to be able to be safely out. Um, so yeah, I mean, for years and years, plenty of people are on, on the DL, you know, and, and that's fine, and everyone in the is respectful of that um, but if people are wanting to come out we we do work on you know your relationship with this specific person or this institution and what the consequences might be you know ways to communicate your needs and um, you know like what you might expect the reaction to be and how to cope with that reaction so we do some troubleshooting and you know hope for the best but at the end of the day, if if it goes terribly not to plan and it's painful, you have a community to fall back on and know that you're not alone, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was my next thought, um, that alienation, you know, so oftentimes there's alienation in that, especially like you said, deviating from the norm. Um there's, there's loneliness, right? So do you encourage them to maybe build communities of like-minded persons or, um, you know, I, I wonder what what do you recommend um, when persons report that loneliness or isolation? Absolutely. We need people. I mean, that goes for anything, right? Like yeah. we, we need to know that we're not alone and we need validation. Um, if what we're doing is not harming anyone, then it's not a harmful behavior by definition, right? So um, to to fill your social media feeds with people who have your value system and share your moral yeah. philosophy, um, mm-hmm. to reach out to like-minded people who might have time and space to support you and you know, help you process what you're going through because even well-intentioned monogamous friends can give the worst advice because <laughs> um, they just don't get it and that's okay you know and so yeah community is is really really important um it has been really important for me and you know when there is that kind of stigma when there is a backlash or uh, an ignorant reaction i see it today as like a self-selection um the kind of streamlines like, oh, okay, they're going to opt out of engaging with me. So then I don't really have to you know, push back on it or have that conflict. And it attracts more of the right people. Yes. So yeah, it's now it's offered like a lot of autonomy and growth. Um, 
having that stable community, but it, it can be a little bit of a bumpy road to, to developing it, but it is possible. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. So do you offer resources or, or questionnaires to, to learn about the parties individually? Is that, is that important to you as you dive and guide them? Absolutely, you know, because every, every situation is so unique. Um, and so I, I recently developed a more formal questionnaire to introduce me to them and what uh, they're currently, you know, what their relationship is, the history, their goals for coaching, um, as well as, you know, are you uh, seeing a therapist? Like, what are some other resources in your life? Um, we dive into, you know, what does ethical mean? Uh, and then, like, for example, I'm a moral relativist, so that means I'm very adaptable. There's very few always or nevers. Um, but if someone is a bit more deontological, that means they have, like, universal rules that cannot be deviated from. Um, and so to define like, okay, we're saying consensual ethical non-monogamy, but do we as people in this relationship, um, agree on what ethical means? Cause that can make or break if you're compatible, um, in this way. So we get into, you know, that kind of like what it philosophically, like what are your beliefs as well as what are your trigger points? Like what makes you feel safe? What makes you feel unsafe? Um, yeah. And so it's, it's very much, you know, some people just want a peer that gets it and they can vent to and problem like troubleshoot. Some people really want like lesson plans and, you know, I'm happy to design <laughs> like homework, you know, cause I, I, I'm very, um, I'm very, uh, like reactive rather than, um, coming with an agenda of my own. I, yeah. I want to respond to whatever someone is looking to get out of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like therapy, you know. I think asking them what's 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 your style, what's your learning style, or um, what would you prefer this to to look like? Because for some people who might be very Type A, they might want things to be a little bit structured or in a particular order. While you see, we see clients that are very flexible. I I just want to come in um, weekly, and of course, it's a supportive, um, and and we're working towards something, but we allow them to to kind of shape what they want it to look like. So I imagine it's, it's similar to that. Yeah, it's, um, I, I'm being, I'm very upfront about not being a medical or mental health professional. Yeah. So <laughs> in that way, um, that, that power dynamic is not really there. Yes. And rather it's more of like a big sister who's like a little, a little further down the path than you that can, yeah. you know, give you some insight. And I always, um, do my best to support to the fullest extent of my own experience. Um, and, but in, in, for that reason, it's not always uh, a teacher student dynamic. Sometimes it's just peer to peer and I enjoy that flexibility as well. I like that. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about um, just some positives and negatives that you've come across um, with exploring consensual non-monogamy? For myself or for people I work with? Uh, maybe for you. Um, and maybe just a little if, you, if you've if you noticed some trends from your work. Sure. I mean, the pros are hands down. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't love my life. <laughs> um, it's so validating and liberating. And I love being out with one of my partners and we both check out a person together, you know. 
um, that I don't have to hide anything about even just a fleeting thought of, oh, this person's so great. I love them so much. And that love isn't then interrogated or seen as a threat. Um, so the, the abundance, like the treatment of love as not a finite resource over which to compete, um, but rather this ever-present like orb of light, like the sun, you know, that is just nonstop um, available to all of us, uh, you know. And so time and resources are, are finite, and that's really where the negotiation lies. But in terms of the emotional freedom, I feel very liberated. Um, I'd also say that it's really boosted my communication skills uh, a lot. <laughs> it's booting yeah. up for your communication skills. It's right, yeah. For your self-esteem, you know, you're really going to be confronted on the regular with your insecurities. And, you know, if a partner has uh, is dating someone and I love them and then they're dating someone else who I fear, well, why do I fear this person and not that person? Uh, that is then a prompt to inquire, like, what is it in me that I'm scared of this person? Um, what insecurity or what fear uh, do I now need to work on? And so a lot of internal work has been prompted from my relationship dynamics. And I've just grown as a person. Um, they're transferable skills, like negotiating, you know, romantic and sexual dynamics. Now when I'm in a boardroom negotiating a contract, it's like no problem, you know? So I feel, um, feel really empowered by, by what we've been able to accomplish as a polytool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of cons, we, we touched on it a little bit before mm -hmm. stigmas. Um, yeah. I, uh, you know, I have family members who have their own room, like traumas around sex and love and mm -hmm. do a lot of projecting onto me, calling me a sex addict. Um, mm -hmm. Even though I have way less sex now like I'm, <laughs> than I did when I was quote-unquote single and dating. Yeah, um, people just have all these assumptions, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, it's like 95% talking. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I've, I've distanced myself from some people in my family. Um, I've lost access to some family resources for that reason. Um, and that's, that's okay. Cause I have chosen family to fall back on, you know, that's why building community is so important. So, um, it's, it's hard, uh, and the emotional labor required to reach a place where you feel secure in polyamory is hard. It's, you know, can't be, can't be treated lightly. Um, and, and there are plenty of people who, who use the terminology of consensual non-monogamy, but they're, you know, screwing around and cheating. And like, so there's a little bit of like, you're not just safe just because now you're in this community. You also have to scrutinize, like, does this person's actions match their words? Yes. And so, you know, I'm often like, now I'm often helping folks see, you know, if their current dynamic um, maybe needs more help than peer support can offer. Because if you're with a, an abusive person, I have even in my monogamy been with an abusive person, um, that needs to be dealt with before you can negotiate sustainable polyamory. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's dating, it's love, it's messy, it's not always fun. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that's polyamory's 
faults, but uh, that is those are some of the, the downsides I've experienced in the last nine years or so. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit about your personal experience. So what can therapists do to better support persons who are consensually non-monogamous? Well, you know, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't like uh, claim to have you know, all of the perfect answers for, for therapeutic professionals. Uh, there's a lot that I don't know um, in terms of, that's, that's often why I refer people to therapists if I feel like their abuse or their trauma work will take precedence and should take priority over their polyamory work. Like sometimes it just is not time to work on polyamory if you're very activated with trauma responses. So, Mm -hmm. so, but you know, if someone is navigating non-monogamy, there is a lot of stigma from therapists. It's hard to find a kink aware, polyamorous aware therapy. Um, So just to not make assumptions, but to ask questions is helpful. Um, And to assess, like, is this person having their needs met? Do they feel like this is a secure relationship? Then maybe don't judge the structure of it um, or, like, to to check if there are some projections going on. Um, Yeah, that's... Because, you know, therapists are people, too. And I've been with therapists who, like, had me educating them all session. And I was like, why am I paying for this? Yeah. Um, like, so, and that's you know, what we don't want. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like not to, like, to ask enough questions to better be of service, but to not spend the whole, um, you know, session asking how does it work? And, you know, please educate me because I'm so interested. You know, I think it's it's really important to prioritize a person's mental health above yeah. all else. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. It's, um, it's tricky. It's, it's really tricky. Yeah, it does. And, um, you know, one of the things that I was just thinking is, you know, a lot of therapists are not trained, not even to work in sex therapy. That's an additional training that we get um, so we can better deal with these cases when we see them. Um, but I am doing um, a lot of my work with um, Sexual Health Alliance, and they also offer a certified non-monogamy program um, so we can learn a little bit more um, and also be more aware uh, when we see those, um, when we see these relationship styles coming up in, in sessions. Because I think um, non-sex therapists, um there's certain things that are, are even limited and even with um, couples therapists, licensed marriage and family therapists, um, a lot of where we we learn from is from, you know, uh, just the heterosexual approach, right? And that's not always helpful when we meet clients who are outside of that. So, Absolutely. You know. And, you know, I think it's so lovely that there's now a little bit more um, focused training about... Yeah, these kinds of dynamics because often, and I've been, I've chatted with therapists before um, who, when I described a failing relationship, they blamed the structure for the failure rather than the fact that I was dating a liar and a cheater. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) would you blame monogamy itself for the fact that I'm with this person? Or maybe it's this person who's not doing their work and that's why we're failing because I can't do both of our work, you know? And so to, you know, not, not, 
maybe make assumptions about an entire community based off of one instance is another thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you did touch on, you know, when you refer clients to therapy. Um, so what would be, so you would refer them to therapy and they would also be receiving coaching or yeah, would they come know, back to you after? It's absolutely um, up to them, you know, and it's not always, therapy is not always accessible. And yeah. um, so I'm happy to supplement uh, therapeutic work, but sometimes my coaching prices are all that someone can afford. So I do my best to, you know, do research on um, books and other resources. Uh, There are plenty of therapists on YouTube who create, you know, resources and they say, Hey, here's this therapist offering free resources. So to, you know, to know what my skills are and what they definitely aren't and to be upfront about that and, um, you know, to support people uh, with their struggles to the best of my ability. Um, That's great. That's great and very ethical. (laughs) (laughs) Doing my best, you know, like, I don't know. Yes. Okay. Um, anything else we didn't touch on that might be helpful for someone who is thinking about opening up their relationship or considering a monogamish style? Any tips? Sure. I mean, find other people with whom you relate who are also living this way. Find people who have what you want and appear to be happy and thriving. Um, ask them how they did it. Um, above and beyond that, there are some really good resources like um, Polysecure, this book that just came out it. last year, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are new resources coming out all the time, a 2020 book. Um, 2020 gave us something good. <laughs> it's called Polysecure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's a Jealousy Workbook by Labriola. There's Ethical Slut by Easton. Uh, loves ethical slut <laughs> yeah um and i would say also loves not colorblind uh, by kevin patterson is really great he's a, a polyamorous um mentor uh, as well as talking about the intersectionality of uh, you know race and polyamory and um so you know just to to read and see what resonates because our guts are our best internal navigation system you know mm-hmm. so to to take what resonates and to push back on what doesn't that includes you know with what's being proposed by your partner um, and even what you might want you know if it brings anxiety and stress then maybe pause and examine if you should slow down or ask for help instead of just barreling forward there's no no rush thank you so what do you constantly do? So I, I don't know if you do any workshops or how do you, you know, like you just said, you know, reading is definitely a way to to stay in the know. Um, but what do you constantly do to just keep up with um, just the times, really? Yeah, I mean, I'm always absorbing um, new opinions and new resources to expand the ways that I can be of service to see, you know, what are some areas that I'm weaker in um, sometimes I was prompted by a client who has a need that I didn't anticipate and then I go and do some homework. Um, but also regular therapy myself. I'm like constantly working on my own um, CPTSD recovery. Um, I'm also actively dating in part to keep things fresh, like to remember what it's like to navigate younger, less secure polyamory. And, you know, just to stay very active in my community 
keep in touch with mentors who I can gut check ideas with. Awesome. Thank you for that. So uh, where can our listeners connect with you online, whether they're here in the U.S. or over in Germany? I imagine you see clients both in, in both countries. Mm-hmm. I have clients all over the world. Um, nice. All my services are digital. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram uh, at Chill Polyamory. And I'm on Patreon. I offer weekly resources as well as Pen Pal program where I send an email response within a week. It's on patreon.com slash chillpolyamory. And for coaching, uh, you can go to chillpolyamory.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Morgan, for being with us and sharing with us. I know it's it's late over there. <laughs> um, yeah, I hope. Um, yeah, thank you so much. And I hope we can keep in connection. And um, I'm glad that you mentioned that you work globally. So um, I think by us talking, I hope that people can, uh, who, re- who this resonates with, can reach out and um, just a little bit more from you and um, and what you're doing with your work. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's lovely to chat with you. Yeah. So to our listeners, thank you for catching this episode and being with us this week. Um, for more information about this week's topic, you can check out our Instagram page at Her Sexual Space Podcast where I will feature our lovely guests. And if you have any questions, you can always add to any of us in the comments. Um, We'll be glad to answer them. And don't forget, if you're loving this podcast, if you're loving this episode, leave us a review and then rate us on um, Apple Podcasts. I think that's the only place you can do that right now. So thank you guys and see you all next week.